Before I read my text this morning, um, I want you to listen to something. I want you to see something, and it lasts four whole minutes, so hang in there, guys.
prayer if you... Uh... Guys, do you know what that is? What that was? That was my text. Yes, it, it was an excerpt from Handel's Messiah, the 18th century, the famous 18th century oratorio, yes. But it's also my text. It's my text that was sung. And so now, I want to take the text and read it. And I'm going to start in verse 2. It's in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 2 because this past week in my final preparations for this sermon, I discovered that verse 1 of chapter 9 in the Hebrew Bible is included in chapter 8. In the Hebrew Bible, chapter 8 has 23 verses, not 22, and chapter 9 begins with verse 2. So I thought, you know, I'll just go with the Hebrew Bible. Here we go. You follow as I read. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, this is, of course, a piece of prophecy on the part of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet who is known to be the one who refers most to the coming Messiah more than any of the other prophets. But here you find the prophet Isaiah standing on his tiptoes, and as he does, he sees a light, a light that is shining in an otherwise dark and gloomy world. The only light he sees, the only thing that dispels darkness, is something that he identifies as a child, a child born which is, is something that happens every day. Nothing uncommon about a child being born. But read on. Because the next statement he makes is, unto us a son is given. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is not the ordinary language used to describe, the, to describe a birth. But this child is a gift he will get here in the most unusual of ways. But this child emanating, or from whom this light emanates, 
Is a, is a son, a child, given? Guys, the great hope that Isaiah is offering to an oppressed people, to his oppressed people, will come via a child who will be born under some extraordinary circumstances. And upon the shoulders of this child, a government will rest, a government with all of its rules and all of its responsibilities. And the, and the world will be subject to the rule of this child that Isaiah sees in this prophetic vision. He writes about the coming of this child as if the birth had already happened. And then Isaiah, again with the eyes of a prophet, gives to that child a name. Actually, he gives him five names, two of which we'll look at this morning, and Lord willing, we'll look at the other three next Sunday morning. So as Isaiah gives to the child a name, he starts with this one. Wonderful. Now guys, that translation is a bit unfortunate. The, the Hebrew word peleh is in the, Greek, in the Hebrew text, it is not an adjective, it is a noun. The word used here is not an adjective, wonderful. It is a noun. And the name that he gives to this child that he sees off in the distance is the name Wonder. This child is wonder itself. Guys, about a month ago, um, I mentioned in a sermon the story of Balaam. Balaam, the, the, that soothsayer from the ancient Near East. Um, Balaam is the guy whose donkey talked to him. Remember that story? It's found in Numbers 23. Um, so the king of Moab is a guy by the name of Balak. And Balak hires Balaam to come over to Moab and pronounce a curse on the nation of Israel as Israel is moving north up from Egypt into the promised land. So on the way over there, he gets, a fight, gets in a fight with his donkey, but he ultimately gets there. And Balak hurriedly takes him to the top of a mountain so that he can look down into the valley and see this horde of people whose name is Israel. And so when, and, and again, he was hired to pronounce a curse. But when he gets on the top of the mountain and he sees this nation, he does the very opposite of cursing. He pronounces a blessing. And the, in the midst of that blessing that Balaam pronounces, part of, the, part of that blessing, it's in verse 23, Numbers 23, 23, Balaam says this, it's as if he pauses in the midst of what he's, say, what he's saying, as he looks at those people and he says, 
Look at what God has wrought. Look at what God has done. Now here's my point. I think the same thing overcame Isaiah. Isaiah stares off into the future through the the clouds of history and there in the midst of this darkness and gloom he sees light associated with a child and the first word that comes storming out of his mouth Isaiah's mouth is the word wonder. Look at what God has wrought through a child. Who could have possibly imagined that God was going to deliver his oppressed people? By a child. A child whose name is wonder. Because he is given as a gift of grace to accomplish the deliverance of an oppressed people. Now guys, let let me pause just for a quick minute and, and make just a brief application. Gang, I want you to note and take note of this. It is not the law that is wonderful. It's the child. It is not my excellent behavior or performance that is wonderful. It's the child It is not that insane notion that you may possess that I am basically a good person that is wonderful. No. It is the child. Guys, the glory of the law is that it led me to the child. Before I became a Christian, I was anything but wonderful. And it was the law that convinced me of that and showed me my guilt. It was the law that convinced me there must be another way because I certainly can't earn this. There must be something else. And it was the law that took me by the hand and led me to a manger a manger there in Bethlehem, and there I stood alongside a handful of disgustingly filthy shepherds. And we all got caught up in wonder. The wonder 
associated with the child. And we too said, Oh my. Look at what God has wrought. And then, the second thing that the law did after it had taken me to the Savior is that that same law convinced me, hey, listen, Mr. Big Shot, you're not as smart as you thought you were. What you need is, uh, I mean, you need some guidance. You need some instruction. You need some wisdom. What you need is a counselor. And then the law took me by the hand again back to the child because you see that too is his name wonderful counselor now folks let me was it not was it not a bad counselor by which this world was ruined didn't Satan offer bad counsel to Eve and she believed him and we have been paying for that ever since guys don't you know that Satan will tell you 99% of the truth so that he can float one lie Didn't Joshua and Israel get bum-foozled by the Gibeonites in in chapter 9 because they failed to pursue counsel? Or even worse, Saul and his sons and his army was smacked down by the Philistines because Saul sought to find counsel through the witch of Endor? Doesn't the whole book of Proverbs plead with us? To listen to counsel? Well, ladies and gentlemen, here's the good news. When Isaiah saw that light, he understood that the one thing that dispelled darkness is the one who would shed light. And in a second burst of enthusiasm, he says, this child that will be given to us will be our counselor. Let me pause again and make another application. Guys, um, I don't know, six or eight times a year, someone will approach me and they'll say, um, Dr. Young, could you, uh, I want to pursue some counsel. I need a counselor. And do you have any name that you could recommend? So I give them a few names. And, and then later on, I, I find out that that same person ended up seeing someone who makes no profession of faith uh, in the counselor, and they end up uh, going to a non-Christian counselor. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Do you know what a non-Christian counselor will never tell you? I do. Because David Paulison made a name revered around here, but David uh, Paulison made a list of 14 things that a non-Christian counselor will never tell you. Can I read you just half of them? There's 14. I'll, I'll only read you half of them. This is the thing that the non-Christian counselor will never tell you. They will never mention that God searches every heart, that every human being will bow to give final account for each thought, word, deed, choice, emotion, belief, and attitude. They will never mention sinfulness and sin that humankind obsessively and compulsively transgresses against God. They will never mention Jesus Christ because he is a standing insult to self-esteem and self-confidence, to self-reliance, to self-salvation schemes, to self-righteousness, and into believing in myself. They will never mention that biological factors and personal history experience exist within the providence and purposes of the living God and that nature and nurture locate moral responsibility but they do not trump responsible intentionality. The non-Christian counselor will never mention our propensity to return evil for good, how felicities tempt us to self-trust, ingratitude, self-confidence, entitlement, presumption, superiority, and greed. The non-Christian counselor will never mention that human beings are meant to become conscious worshipers bowing down in a deep sense of personal need. The non-Christian counselor will never mention that human beings are meant to obey God's will, not our own wishes. The non-Christian counselor will never mention that the power to change does not lie within us. Why? Why would you ever submit yourself to a counselor who doesn't know and love the counselor? Do you know why they won't tell you these things? Because they don't believe these things. These things you see can only be found in here. But doctor, come tell me, then, then who is the counselor? The child. The one that Isaiah saw. The one that who, the one 
that centuries later would make his way into the world through a virgin named Mary and be born in a barn outside of a hotel in Bethlehem. He is the counselor. He's the one who left his home in glory. You know, in my childhood, I was a part of a, another denominational flavor, and we used to sing a hymn that I really liked. I kind of miss it. It goes like this. Out of the ivory palaces into this world of woe, only his great eternal love could make my Savior go. That's the one that Isaiah saw who laid aside his rights and privileges to deity. Why? Why would he do that? So that he could serve his people. Well, how, how is it that he served his people? Do you not know the answer to that question? He served us by dying for us. He served us by giving his life as a ransom for undeserving people like us. And those of us who know of the enormous debt that we had created by our sin and that that debt is fully paid for, What could be more wonderful than that? Why? Look at what God has wrought. Let me close by putting a question to you. Is this child wonderful to you is he is Jesus Christ in his life and death a wonder for your soul if so then there awaits you the wonder of affection and ecstasy and delight when he returns for a second visit. But if he is not, if this child is not a wonder to you, then yours will be a wonder of a different kind 
It will be a wonder of darkness and gloom and horror and regret. And it is this child, even from his manger, that urges you to come and lay down your deadly doings. Because this child ultimately grows up to be the Savior of his people. You know, ladies and gentlemen, this culture in which we find ourselves, they love it as long as Jesus remains a baby. But the baby grew up and became the savior of sinners. Is that Savior wonderful to you? Our Father, would you open the eyes of the blind even now so that they might see Jesus Christ in all of his beauty? Might men and women across this room see that the one thing needed in them right this minute is forgiveness, a relationship with God that can only come by faith in Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, O oh God, who have embraced this Savior, we glory in who you are for us. Forgive us that we've listened to the wrong counselors and the counsel that we need comes directly from your lips so counsel us Lord Jesus tell us where we err tell us what must change what we want to be is made more into the image of Jesus Christ and we pray of course in his name amen